Well, Rich and Judy Armstrong, like many of us this time of year, they, <laughs> it was a hectic holiday schedule. You had one of those too, I'm guessing. I see some of our visitors from the great Northwest and from the Southeast of Minnesota here, but uh, just a variety of folks and busy, busy, busy schedules. And not only the holiday times, but careers and kids shopping that had to be done with online stuff, it makes it even more difficult. So things needed to be done. And uh, Judy is the one who often did Christmas cards. I'm not sure how you do it in your household, but that was Judy's job. And realizing she was going to be shorter time, she figured, boy, I'm going to do it a little different this year. So she had Christmas cards printed with their signatures already on them. You've done that, haven't you, and received those? It's kind of a nice way to do it. Well, that sounds fine and good. Uh, they didn't have to sign them. They just came with their names pre-printed. Sounds good so far. But soon they started getting Christmas cards back from their friends. And it was just, it struck Judy as, this doesn't sound right. Here's what some of the signatures from their friend's Christmas card said. The modest Morrisons. The clever Clarks. The successful Smiths. And Judy's thinking to herself, what is going on? Why are my friends acting so weird? She finally figured out. She went and looked back at the card that she had sent, that she had mailed out. A hundred cards, neatly imprinted with Merry Christmas from the Rich Armstrongs. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, sometimes during this busy time of the year when your patience is stretched to the max and your schedule seems impossible to keep, it's easy to throw up your hands and say, what's the use? It just seems too much. If you're wanting to skip Christmas, now if you're a kid, you're going, no way. If you're an adult, maybe. Christmas can be a time of stress rather than peace. I know it's a very difficult time for a lot of folks, especially those that have had some experience during the past year that has impacted them, whether it's a death or moving away or some other circumstance that makes it tough for them to deal with the Christmas cycle. Do you know what the best part about the Christmas is? Uh, you could each say different things, I'm sure. But the best part of Christmas is being together with family members. Yeah, whoa, nice. Look at those smiles. Aren't they a happy bunch? Okay. Well, the flip side of that, what's the worst part? What's the worst part about being together, about Christmas? It is being together with family members. I recognize those faces. <laughs> I don't know who those folks are, by the way. That's not family members. That's just a picture. But Christmas, we always are oftentimes associated with family time, right? That's, that's what ideally what we'd like it to be. But sometimes there's a lot of stress when it comes to being with family. Those imperfections of our family members, they seem to get bigger and more irritating. Sometimes things are said in anger and frustration. Shouldn't be said. So much for peace and goodwill, right? Now, don't you wonder sometimes if those strained feelings, emotions, and stresses were something that Joseph the carpenter from Nazareth experienced those 2,000 years ago when his bride-to-be, Mary, told him the Christmas news. Guess what, Joe? I'm pregnant! Wow. I mean, 
understanding culture, I mean, today as well, but back then, oh my, disaster. He had to know anger. He had to know disappointment, confusion, don't you think? Well, with that in mind and listening to our lessons for this morning and for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and so on, knowing the story as well as we do, there are five things that I want to look at in this Christmas story that I, I think will help us, at least my intent is, that it would help us to put life, put Christmas, put family into perspective. And then, after looking at those five things, I'm hoping that there are some three things that I'd like for you to take with you, something to do. This is a, a busy time. I'm going to have you work when we're done here today. Hopefully learning something and hopefully taking something away that you can use in your life. So, first thing I want to do is, is look at what Joseph went through and explore how he handled the first Christmas dilemma to see if we can learn anything from him. Okay, we set the stage. First stage of, of the encounter is Joseph encounters the situation. Verse 18 of Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. So here it is, laying the stage. This is what happens. Uh, you don't have to, you probably got it memorized. We usually use Luke 2, but this is the Matthew account. Well, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. We've heard it, we go, yeah, 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 I've heard that. And the question that comes to mind is, what? She's pregnant? She's pregnant? Now, if the fact of a pregnancy wasn't shocking enough, Remember, she's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. And that's the age where you got married. That's when you started having kids and all that stuff. And that's enough. But the explanation, <laughs> oh my goodness. Just think about Joseph, what, he, what uh, the message he heard. It was simply unbelievable. Mary says, you know, Joseph, God made me pregnant. Okay, okay. Now, I didn't take biology in school, but I'm not a dummy, Mary. Well, to understand part more, a bit more of the story, we understand that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Okay. What that means is they weren't technically married, and yet, in a way, they were. Here's what I mean. The pledge in the Jewish culture back then was a great deal more formal than our engagement period for today. Looking this way up front here. We got a wedding coming up. It's still on at this point, right? The fact that you're both here today leads me to believe we're on for the summer or whenever it's going to be. So, okay, a little bit different than it was back for Mary and Joseph, because it was kind of a, a pre-marriage relationship agreement. It was uh, so much so that a rabbi, the pastor, would perform a ceremony for this pledge. Wow, it wasn't just that you asked dad for the hand of marriage. It wasn't just that you said, will you marry me? They had a formal church celebration of sorts. And then during that pledge period, which lasted about a year, abstinence was to be maintained until after the official marriage ceremony. Okay, so far so good. Well, if during that period of time the woman became pregnant, it was viewed as adultery. And under the strictest interpretation of the Old Testament law, it was punishable by death for both parties, for both parties. They got killed. But to be fair, and uh, it was not normally enforced during that time of Mary and Joseph. It was the law, but they didn't always follow it. And in this case, it was still a pretty heavy uh, problem. 
because Mary's, Mary's pregnancy was a breach of contract. And her explanation, God made me pregnant. You just know not only what Joseph, but the community had to be thinking, really, come on, would you, would you believe that? It was apparent to Joseph that Mary was not the person he thought she was, or so he thought. Now, I know over, over the years, a number of folks have criticized, criticized Joseph for being too quick to jump to conclusion. He should have acted, should not have acted until he had all the facts. We've heard that many times, haven't we? But you've got to go, no, we're looking at it from the back end of it, knowing how things end up. What was the conclusion? What other conclusion could someone come by when the explanation she gives is God made me pregnant? Mary was carrying somebody else's baby. Joseph was innocent, in essence, a jilted lover. So that leads us to the second background stage that Joseph had to deal with, and that is separation. Matthew 1:19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, that's a key part, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, kill her, okay, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It sounds weird, but that was act, actually an act of love. Now, knowing some of this stuff, I have to admire Joseph when I read this section. Now, we're told, as I mentioned, that Joseph was a righteous man. That means Joseph's, Joseph's life had been shaped by the transforming touch of God. He was a spiritually sensitive man. He's the guy who would be sitting where you are now on the Sunday after Christmas. He's the guy that would be on the boards and committees and helping out with the plowing of the, the parking lots and whatever needed to be. That's the kind of guy he was. He was a spiritually sensitive man who was committed to doing the right thing as much as he was able in every circumstance. Way to go, Joseph. I've always admired him for that. It was Joseph's goal, therefore, to not embarrass or disgrace Mary. He doesn't want to hurt her any further. You know he's disappointed, but he didn't want to take it any further. I mean, there would be enough hurt as it was, right? Young gal, pregnant, not married, oh boy, she's going to have her problems. There would be consequences to being pregnant and unmarried. So Joseph had his own solution. He thought what he could do. He could have her killed. Uh, he could just leave her alone. Uh, he decided that he would move on with his life without Mary. He would break off the pledged marriage and divorce her. Remember that one-year period had to be by divorce. Couldn't just break the engagement and say we're done. Now we come to the third part, laying the groundwork that Joseph faced, and that is the secret. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, you think that got his attention? Whoa! Joseph's thinking, Mary's telling the truth from a messenger of God, nonetheless. Wow! Oh my goodness. Mary wasn't telling some phony story after all, Joseph discovered. Now, even though her story defied all scientific facts and common sense, it turns out she's telling the truth. So Joseph learned a valuable lesson that would carry him for the rest of his life. And here's point number one that I want you to take away this morning. 
and that is this. Never underestimate God. Never underestimate God. That sounds simple, but it's true. It's true. Never underestimate God. Okay, stage four. Joseph's Christmas dilemma. Satisfaction. Here's verses 21 to 23. The angel now to Joseph, saying, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this goes back to Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah here. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay. Joseph discovered he's part of a bigger plan. And that's another point that I want you to take home with, that our lives are not just something we just float through, just trying to survive and get along, but you and I, as was Joseph, are part of a bigger plan. Joseph is a pretty clear-cut big one, wasn't it? I mean, you talk about stepfather of God, that's a big deal. And Joseph discovered he's part of a bigger plan. Amazing, amazing. And Joseph then is instructed to give this baby a name. Now, usually you would give your names, it was oftentimes would be Joe Jr. or would continue the family name. That was real common back then. But Joseph is, is said, you name this kid, and I want a specific name, the angel is saying. God wants you to name him a very specific thing. It's not just any old name is told to name the child Joshua. Joshua. Well, Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus is Greek. And they mean the same thing. They mean salvation. So what Joseph was instructed to do was to name this child salvation. Name him Redeemer. Name him the one who's going to patch things up. Because this son was going to save his people, the world, from their sins. Now, it's always fun. I'm disappointed this year we don't have our Sunday school uh, service. That's always fun to, to watch the little guys retell the story in a variety of ways. And there's a cute little story about a group of first graders who got together. They decided to write their own version of the nativity. <laughs> you can imagine how that goes. Well, it was more modern than traditional drama. They had their costumes, but it was more with a modern twist. So these little first graders, their version, there were familiar members of the cast. There was Joseph, and, and, and there were shepherds. Oh, and there was an angel propped up in the background. But Mary, she wasn't around in this little play of theirs. Where's Mary? And so as the story unfolds for these little first graders, the audience can hear behind the bales of hay Loud moans and groans. Oh! Evidently, Mary was in labor. <laughs> well, soon in their story, the doctor arrives. He's dressed in the white coat with a stethoscope around his neck. That's what doctors do. And Joseph, now he's on the scene, this little story. He looks on with relief on his face and talks, takes the doctor straight to Mary and then starts pacing back and forth, and after a few moments, the doctor emerges with a big smile on his face, looks at Joseph and says, congratulations, it's a God. 
Well, he was right, actually, right? That's not quite how we phrase it, though. Because, you see, that was the message that the angel was giving Joseph, wasn't it? This baby was someone very, very special. He was Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That's what incarnation also means, that God taking on, or something taking on human flesh. Emmanuel, name that Jesus is called by elsewhere. And it means God with us. Well, this, this, my friends, is an ultimate, ultimate miracle. God becoming one of us? Incredible. So it's time for Joseph either to cut bait or get on board. What's he going to do? Is he going to divorce her? Is he going to kill her? What's he going to do? Well, remember, he's a righteous man. So the fifth stage of Joseph's journey, the fifth deciding portion of his journey is the service. Verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, what is he going to do? He's got his choices. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Way to go, Joseph. Good guy. The dream worked. Joseph's convinced. His anxiety is gone. He had faith and now has faith in the unbelievable. And as a result, Joseph chooses to love and care for her and her child as if they were his own son. Notice, chooses. Joseph chose. That's a big point. That's the third point I want you to take with you today. Choice. We have a choice. We see circumstances. We know what's going on in life, in our families, and so on. And you can choose to respond to it in a variety of ways. What did Joseph do? He chose to love and care for her and her child as if it was his own. You know they were going to have problems. A young couple, small town. You know the gossips are going to be chattering. You know people aren't going to believe him no matter what they say. But he chose to say, God directed me. I'm choosing God versus man. And then he provides for Mary regardless of the cost. He chooses to get married instead of killing her and divorcing her. Chooses to get married. That means that's what it means when he takes her home. He would prepare the house and then go get her. And that was their marriage. He would live together as husband and wife, share the home, even though the betrothal period, the engagement, was not up yet. They still did the marriage thing. Joseph's decision would undoubtedly raise the eyebrows of the community. It'd be presumed by the busybodies standing on the street corner that Joe and Mary had been unable to wait sexually through this engagement period. I mean, pretty normal, you would think, right? As with a very small town, so the gossips would be going wild because people knew how to do the math back then, right? The impeccable character of Joseph, remember, he was a righteous man. Neighborhood, community knew that, but now it was undermined. Nevertheless, and this is a big deal, he tenderly cared for Mary. He chose, there I'm saying it again, he chose to love her in these difficult situations no matter what the stress was that they were facing. Okay, with all of that background now, what do we learn from this? And here's the big takeaway for the day. Christmas is the time to be family. And you can see I emphasized, be family. 
It's not just a time for family, getting together, open presents, drink eggnog, and eat cookies. It's a time to be family. Little two-letter word, but a big, big, big meaning. Be. It's an important distinction. Now, many of you have, have uh, spent time looking for just the right gift for someone that you care about, right? Whether it was for a spouse or children, parents, or good friend, perhaps. The gift would be a demonstration of our love for them, showing love. This is a, an extension of you. That's what gifts are meant to be. And many of us will gather, and so, that's why we're here this morning, a lot of you, gather in these holiday times, or at least try to gather with grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins. Uh, for me, we, did, uh, we had the Zoom on Christmas Day. Jessica is still in a group home over in Invergrove Heights, and Laura is down in Lakeville with her four, three kids, and Amanda's out in Delano with their four kids. Well, we did a one o'clock Zoom meeting. That was our, our Christmas. We looked nice, and we sang Happy Birthday Jesus, which we always do, so we did that, and Jessica was very happy about it. But that was our Christmas this year. I didn't like it. It stinks. Next year, we're going to be together again. That's the intent. Hopefully we can. We wanted to be with family. Wanted to be family for the special holiday. It's a time where we're reminded of our identity as we celebrate our ancestry. You see, we're not isolated persons in spite of COVID-19. We're not. We don't exist in a vacuum. We belong to those who claim a common name and a common past, whether it's physically you know, whatever your family name is. But a common past for us that are sitting here and a lot of you at home. We are called what? Christians. Followers of Christ. And what does God want his family to do? He wants us to be family. He wants us to love our family members even when we feel disappointed or let down in them. Why? Because like Joseph, it's time to be family. I'm emphasizing that because it's so important. See, love is a choice. It's something that you choose to do, something that you put into practice. Hopefully feelings come along with it. But the action, the attitude, that's what we have. And that's the example Joseph challenges us to look at, not only for our own interests, but the interest of those that call us family. And that brings a challenge for us. Perhaps your focus this Christmas season has been, or yet needs to be, on the hard-to-love relative. You got any of those? No elbows, don't look at them. Perhaps it's someone that's not only your media house, maybe it's an extended family member where distance is good. Maybe West Coast versus Midwest. You know, I'm just saying, guys. Uh, the Tupas here, Bradley's here with his uh, fiance from Portland, Seattle, Seattle. Yeah. So they came in with their Starbucks, and, but uh, you know that uh, extended family. Good to be home. Called family. But we here are also extended family members. But whoever that person is, love them with God's love. Look out for their interests and needs, just as Joseph did for Mary, also, and also Jesus did for you and me. My friend, here's, the, here's the, the punchline for the entire sermon. Love your family. Love your family. I know, I know that sounds simplistic, but it's a big, 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 big deal. 
We all need it. And yes, it's stressful to keep all family-related plates in the air spinning. It is. But have patience with those around you. <laughs> and hopefully, they'll have patience with you, right? Especially for the kids. Don't let them miss the awe of the season. Love your family, especially those who drive you crazy. Got any of those? Yeah. Guard your tongue. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Have very selective amnesia to things in the past. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Those are all acts of love. So love your family. Look out for the interests of others, just as Jesus looks out for yours. Remember, he set aside the privilege of deity, God in flesh, taking on human form. And he took on the status of what? A slave, servant, the lowest of the low. Let us follow his example. Serve others for the glory of his name and the good of our family. Love your family. Amen.